Well, let me just state again, it's an honor and privilege to open up God's Word and preach it. And I assure you that Brian is not sitting there chilling. He's sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, what is this guy going to say that I'm going to have to fix over the next week? So uh, I know that pastors don't chill on Sunday. Even when you're not preaching, you still have that nervousness about what's happening and going on in the life of the church. Well, this morning, just talking about voices, continuing to study there on voices and looking at the voice of pride. When Case and I were in Neosho, Neosho had a lot of streets and uh, a lot of different ways to get to different places. And many times I would get in the car and she would be with me and we'd get ready to take off to go to somebody's house or to go somewhere. And she'd say, where are, where are you going? Well, I'm going to Walmart or I'm going to the church or I'm going to some friend's house. And she would just look at me and say, there's a better way to go. And I don't know what it is, and you need to understand, Case was the van driver for the church in our community. She knew the streets of Neosho a whole lot better than I did. She knew how to get places quicker. She knew the fastest way. She knew the best route, the less stop signs. But somewhere in that moment, as soon as she would say, where are you going, pride would begin to rise. And even though we may be five minutes later... 10 miles longer, Enterprise said, I know where we're going. I know how to get there. Even though she actually knew a whole lot better than I did. Do you realize that that voice of pride may be the very voice that is hindering our spiritual lives today? That voice of pride that sits inside of us is what hinders us from growing in our relationship with the Lord. This morning, we're going to take a look at a man. And as we look at this man who had a struggle with that voice of inner pride, we're going to look at his life. We're going to look at a situation. We're going to see the solution that's given to him. We're going to see how he responded. And then we're going to see the results of this man that struggled with inner pride. And maybe you're here this morning and you hear that voice in your head. How do we combat that in our spiritual lives? Before we look at that, let's go, Lord, in a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning. I pray, Father, I pray this morning as we have attempted to do things in our own strength, in our own ways, God, that you would just begin to tear down those walls inside of our own head, the voices inside of our own head of that inner pride that is stubborn, that wants to do things our way and fix things in our own uh, knowledge, in our own ways, Lord. I pray, God, as we study the life of Naaman this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, and God, that you would give us clarity on your word. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're looking at a man by the name of Naaman. That's hard to say that back to back. The name Naaman. And as we look at him, you're going to see him struggle with his enterprise. It's going to take me a few minutes to get there. So just stay with me. We're going, to st- we're going to deal with his inner pride in a few moments. But we're just going to walk through the passage of Scripture. And the first thing I want us to see this morning is the situation. What is Naaman's situation? The situation, if you look, 2 Kings chapter 5, starting with verse 1. The situation is this. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Now notice some key things about this man by the name of Naaman. He is a highly ranked official. Only the king is higher than he is. He is a commander of the officials. He has been successful. 
This man has had victory after victory. If he would have had medals of honor, his whole jacket would have been full. His name, Naaman, actually means valiant soldier. And the Lord has been giving him victory. What's odd is that God is giving this commander of the army of the Syrians victory after victory. In other words, what that teaches us is God is using this man by the name of Naaman to fulfill his purposes in the world. So God is using this man, Naaman. He's very successful. He's having victory, victory. He's honorable. He's a man of valor. But... But he is a leper. He has leprosy. This is a serious condition, right? We know leprosy in those days was a skin disease that would cause the skin to basically decay. There was no feeling. It would begin to fall off. Now, Naaman probably is in the earlier stages of this. Had he lived in Israel, he would have been an outcast. He would no longer be the commander of an army. But because he's in Syria and he's a leper and he's having these victories, they allow him to continue. So as he's continuing there, this man is a leper. He needs healing. He needs to experience something that would bring about a healing for this contagious disease. We know his life isn't going to continue much longer as a commander of the Syrian army if he continues to have this disease of leprosy. So we're getting his condition, right? You're understanding this. Here is this mighty man, a man of high uh, stature, this man of high value, this commander of the army, but we begin to see, uh uh-oh, but he has leprosy. But he's a leper. So continue the situation. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. So we're introduced to Naaman. We find out that he has leprosy. And all of a sudden, now the passage kind of turns the story on us and say, now that when the Syrians went out to battle, they got on their horses and they were fighting in the land of Israel and they took the possessions from the land of Israel. They found this slave girl. They grabbed the slave girl and they take her back to Naaman's house where this girl will now be a servant for Naaman's wife. Now, why is this girl important? Why would the scriptures uh, point her out to us? Verse three, then she said to her mistress, if only, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of this leprosy. So the slave girl that was taken captive as a slave from Israel is now in the house of Naaman, and she looks at her master's wife, who she's the servant of, and says, oh, if only, if only we could get Naaman the leper, the honorable, valiant uh, commander of the army, if only we could get him to Elisha. We'll find out later that it's Elisha that she's talking about. If only we could get Naaman to Elisha. What do you think Naaman's wife is going to do? She's going to tell Naaman, right? The servant girl that is in our house says, if you could only meet Elijah, Elijah would be able to heal you. So get in verse four here. And Naaman went in and told his master, thus and this said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, 
when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of leprosy. Now this has got the king's attention because this is one of his greatest commanders in his army. And so Naaman, after his wife sits down and talks to him and says, hey, our servant girl says that if you could only meet this prophet named Elisha, you would be healed. So the commander of the army, it appears in the passage of scripture, goes to the king and says, king, my servant that was in Israel says that if I get in front of Elisha, Elisha could heal me of leprosy. Now, obviously the king's excited about this, right? Because he says, go next month, next year. No, he says, go now. In fact, Elisha, I don't want, or uh, Naaman, I don't just want you to go now. I want to do something greater. I, I want you to take gifts to the king. I want you to take gold. I want you to take silver. I want you to take changes of clothing. And so he pins this little letter, I guess, on top of Naaman's shirt. And Naaman takes this letter to the king of Israel and says, King of Israel, my master has this letter for you. And he presents it for him. Now watch what happens in the passage. Verse 7, and it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes. That's a sign of mourning. That's a sign of showing that his soul is agitated, that he is uh, in a deep place there. That he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So understand, after visiting the king of Syria, Naaman goes down with his gold, silver, clothing, and that little letter tagged to him that he hands to the king and says, Hey, king, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to heal me of leprosy. And the king of Israel is thinking, This is a trap. I've been bamboozled here. There is no way that I can heal this man of leprosy. There's nothing, nobody's been healed of leprosy. This is ridiculous. The king of Syria has sent this leper to me saying that I have to heal him. And because I'm not going to be able to heal him, I know what's going to happen. The king of Syria is going to get all his army and say, because you couldn't heal Naaman, you're going to pay for it. So you can see the distress of the king of Israel. He feels like I am in a no-win situation. Dun, 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 dun. Up steps Elijah. Check it out, verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and, ye, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. You can just hear the, I mean, this king has torn his clothes. He's saying, we're in a trap. Syria is going to attack us. I can't heal him. Dun, 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 dun. Up steps Elijah. Hey, king, send Naaman to me. Because if you send Naaman to me, God's going to heal him. And when God heals him, there is going to be absolutely 100% no doubt that there's a prophet in Israel. Send him to me, king. And of course, the king really doesn't have that many options, right? What's he going to do? So he's going to allow this to take place. So you see the situation 
of Naaman. He is a leper in need of healing. We now see that he's been in contact with the prophet of God, Elijah. So there is our situation. Now look at the solution. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Now keep in mind, Elisha is a prophet. He speaks the word of God. What God tells him, he speaks it to the people. So here comes Naaman knocking on the door. Naaman, or Elisha doesn't even go out to his house. He sends a messenger and he says, this is what you're to do. If you're going to experience healing, you have to, by faith, go down to the Jordan River and you have to clean yourself seven times. Dip yourself in the Jordan seven times if you're going to experience healing. This is the action you must take. That seems pretty simple, right? If you're a man with leprosy and you're looking to be healed and somebody sends a messenger to you and says, hey, if you want to experience healing in your life, this is what you have to do. You have to be obedient to what the prophet of God has said, and you need to go down to the Jordan River, and you need to dip seven times. That's the solution. The man of God has spoken. The prophet has told him what he must do to be healed. Go dip yourself seven times. So what is Naaman going to do? Here's the response. So we've seen the situation. We've seen the solution. Now let's see how Naaman responds to this. 2 Kings 5.11. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over that place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farar, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all these waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Uh-oh. The voice of inner pride. Here is this man who is a leper that is in front of the prophet of God, has spoken what God says that he must do to be healed, and now up pops inner pride. You can see Naaman. He is furious. He would be red in the face. He is upset of upset. He is pouting. He's mad. And he begins to talk to his servants. says, what is this? I'm not even important enough for Elisha to come out and speak to me. I had in my mind the way that I would experience healing. I have a better plan in this healing. I know what the prophet of God should have done. The prophet of God should have walked up to me and he should have waved his hand over me and then I would be healed of leprosy. But no, instead, he doesn't even appear to me. He doesn't wave his hand over me, and he tells me to go bathe in that dirty Jordan River. That's a muddy, nasty river. I know some rivers that are a whole lot better than the Jordan River. There's these two rivers in Damascus. 
Even if I had a bed, at least he could have sent me to a clean river. Instead of having to sink in the mud of the Jordan. Who does this guy think he is? Do you understand Naaman's situation here? I have a better way. I have a better plan. Notice the key in those things. I have seen how this should happen. I had in my mind the way this should take place. He has reasoned in himself. The voice of inner pride has said, I know better than the word of God. I know better than the prophet of God. That's his response. His initial response is a response of pride. I have a better way to do this. I know how to handle this. Luckily, Naaman had some people that were with him that kind of talks him off the ego trip. Comes up to him, pulls him aside and says, hey, think about what you're doing here. And this is where we'll find the results. As you look in verse 13, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Servants come up to him like, hey, calm down, bro. Get off your ego trip. Think about what you're doing here. If he would have told you to do something magnificent that would have made you famous instead of telling you to humble yourself and go to the Jordan River, you would have done it no problem. Let's give it a shot. And so here's the result. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Understand, this man, Naaman, who had leprosy, goes down. He humbles himself. He's obedient. He has some evidence of faith in his life. And he goes down to this Jordan River, and he dips himself seven times. And I just kind of wondered, did it happen after the seventh time? Or like every time that he came out after one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, was it just kind of progressive? Or was it one of those things that only after the seven was he healed? I don't know. One of those questions I get to ask in heaven to Naaman when I get to meet him. But as he goes down there, he humbles himself. He goes to the Jordan River. He does what the word of God, the prophet of God has told him to do. He dips those seven times. And the scripture says he came out and his skin was like a baby. We know what it's like to touch a newborn baby. Soft, new skin. Almost smell it and want to kind of like rub in it a little bit. But that brand new baby, he's, he's been humbled. And he recognizes this miracle has been done by God, the God of Israel. And so after he's baptized those seven times in that Jordan River, he comes back to Elisha and he says, Elisha, I know that your God is the only God. I want you to take a gift. But what is he acknowledging there? Your God is the God who has healed me. The result is that Naaman experiences a blessing in his life. Because now he's everything that chapter 1 said he was, or verse 1 said he was, but he's not now a leper. He's still a mighty commander. 
but he no longer has leprosy because he's been healed. He's been touched by the mighty hand of God. Now, an important thing to, to keep in mind here is Naaman, when he went down and dumped himself seven times in the Jordan River, understand that was an act of faith. How do we know that that was an act of faith on his part? Faith on his part? Because in Luke chapter four, Jesus says it's an act of faith. Imagine the words of Jesus, or your name being on the mouth of Jesus there, saying this is a man that had faith, a man named Naaman back there of the Syrian army. Jesus even references his faith and his obedience by going down and being baptized in this river. This morning, again, that inner pride may be the reason you're not experiencing healing in your life. It may be that the very thing that you are struggling with, the reason why you struggle with it is because there's this inner voice of pride that you cannot get past. Understand, as you look at the outline this morning, understand there's a pattern there. There's a situation, there's a solution, there's a response, and then there's a result. Do you realize this plays out in your life every single day? I want you to think for just a moment. Think about the situations we face in our life. It may be a financial situation. It may be a parenting situation. It may be an emotional situation, anger or bitterness. It may be uh, some kind of career choice situation. But we all have situations all the time, right? And so when we face situations in our life, how are we going to handle those situations? How are we going to respond to those situations? So we must decide how we're going to find a solution. So you take the situation in your life right now, and you begin to think, how am I going to find the solution? I, I, I know we can go find Elisha, right? Wait, he lived a long, long time ago. I don't have the address or the phone number for Elisha. So how am I going to know what God says about my situation? It's this voice. It's this voice. So when I have a situation in my life that overwhelms me, that frustrates me, when there is a but in my life, a but my finances, but my parenting, but my career, when I have that but in my life, the place that I need to go find the solution is God's word. We don't need a prophet. We need God's word. So when we begin to struggle with the situation in our life, we begin to open up God's word and we allow God's word to speak directly to the issues of our life. And do you realize God's word speaks to every issue that you will ever face in your life? I challenge you to find some issue in your life that God's word doesn't speak to. His word will always speak to the very situation of your life. The third thing comes in, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to what God's tell, word tells us to do? That is the struggle in our spiritual discipleship. Many of us already know what God's word says about our situation. But our inner pride says, oh... I don't know that I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it my way. I think God should heal that area of my life this way or that way. I have a better plan to experience the healing in my own life. I want to do it on my own terms, in my own ways. 
And that's how we respond to the situations in our life. And understand, the blessing is always going to come when we do it according to God's word. The result of your life is going to be based on how you respond to God's word. It's either going to be blessing or it's going to be cursing. Everything that you face in your life, you're going to experience a blessing or a cursing depending on how you respond to God's word. Understand, this is free biblical counseling one-on-one this morning, all right? It's that simple. This is counseling. This is biblical counseling. How do you handle the situations in your life? You open up God's word. You respond to God. Or you open up, you look at the situation in your life. You open up God's word, see what God's word has to say about that situation in your life. And then you respond in obedience. And if you respond in obedience, there is promised blessing. You will never, ever regret facing your situations by doing it God's way. You'll never say, I wish I hadn't followed this because there's promised blessing every time that you handle your situations with the word of God. I encourage you at some point to just practice this with a pen and paper. Get back to the basics of this. Write down your situation. Write down God's words, God's solution in his word. Respond in obedience. And a few months later, write down the results. Whether it's your finances, whether it's your parenting, whether it's your emotional situation, whether it's your career choices, whatever it is, you'll look back and say, man, God's word is the voice that needs to be in my life. I need to hear what God has to say. Even practical, take this down to to see how this plays out in the gospel. Does this really play out in the gospel, this whole thing about a situation, a solution, a response, and a result? Just think about the gospel. What is our situation? We are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. We'll never meet the requirement that God has placed on us. Our situation is that we are sinners who are separated from God. Now, what does God's word say about that? That we're separated? God's word says that he sent his own son, Jesus, to come to a cross to live a perfect life. He went to the cross. He died, was buried, and rose again. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's the solution in God's word to our separation from God because of sin. The question is, what is your response? Will you respond in obedience, trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Or, you will, or will you reject that saying, I have my own ways to have a relationship with God. On my own terms, I will have a relationship with, with God. Do you realize that's why the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing? It's because they, in their own pride, they have discovered or they think they know of a better way to have a relationship with the God who created them. What is the results of that? If you trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, the result is going to be abundant, everlasting life. For those that don't trust in Jesus, it's going to be eternal separation, separated from the God who created and designed you to have a relationship with him. 
Begin to listen to the voice of God and God's word and allow him to move in your life. What is your situation this morning? What does God's word say is the solution? How are you going to respond? And then notice that the blessing is always going to come as a result of following God's word. So this morning, we're going to come to a time of invitation. An invitation is inviting you to respond to what God is doing in your life. Catch that this morning. Invitation is inviting you to respond to what God is doing in your life. And this morning, it may be that you're facing a situation. And so the invitation for you this morning is to grab one of those pins on the back thing, and you may have to use one of those tithe card thingies that are there in front of you. And you may just need to write down, my situation is this. And you may need to go away and study and figure out what is God's solution to that. But then write down, how am I going to respond? And it may be that you know the situation, you know the solution, and the real issue that you need to deal with this morning is how am I going to respond? I've been allowing pride to push me away from what God really desires and wants for my life. But the blessing is always going to come from obedience and following God's word. I'm going to pray as you stand this morning and we give this time of invitation to the Lord, inviting you to respond how he's speaking to your life. As you stand and we pray, Father, we come to you this morning. God, I pray today, if there's a situation in anybody's life Father, I pray that they begin to hear the voice of your word and they would reject the voice of pride in their own life. And God, that they would experience the blessing from following your word and living in the way that you created and designed us to live. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.